Well, grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, have you ever been in a really foul mood and have someone say to you, or just look at you and say, smile? Mm. Sometimes that doesn't feel too good. Or perhaps you've been really despondent and a well-meaning but clueless person says to you, cheer up, I'll be well, all will be well. Well, when that happens to me, I sometimes, sometimes feel like that cheery response, that cheery greeting doesn't really help me at all. And then if the second thing happens, I often feel frustrated on top of feeling upset because I feel misunderstood. Doesn't it seem easy to read those opening verses of the gospel today as a little self-help boost from Jesus? Jesus says, don't be afraid, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Well, one writer suggests this feels like the messianic equivalent to that old slogan from the 1980s and the 1990s, just say no to drugs. Many people thought that was too easy of an answer to this very complex problem of chemical dependency, and we all are probably pretty aware of that. Jesus doesn't seem to be a very good motivational or inspirational speaker. He just seems like he's saying, you know, don't worry about it. And it's not that we mind Jesus reminding us that being afraid and worrying and, and spending time on that doesn't really maybe solve those problems. It's just that we don't think he makes very good case for a fearless and worry-free life. And here's the reason why because we worry. And some of us worry a lot. We are fearful, we are anxious, and we worry about all sorts of things. We worry about our homes. We worry about our careers. Sometimes we worry about our bills, sometimes our health, sometimes our families, sometimes what's happening in the world. Sometimes we wonder about if we will be safe, right? The truth is we are fearful and that can lead to worry. And that can happen to us no matter if we're rich or poor, no matter what our particular situations are in life. It can happen even if we come to church, we worry, and even if we call ourselves these great and faithful Christians, sometimes we just worry. Worrying seems to be a part of life. We are fearful and we worry, even though stress management people, experts will say only 2% of the things we worry about, the worrying time we spend, is actually helpful. The other 98% just throw it out the door, they say, because we worry about things that never happen. We worry about things that cannot be changed. We worry about things that turn out better than we ever expected them to turn out. And then sometimes we worry just about those little things those little things, you know, that happen in life. 98% of our times, the experts say, doesn't, our worrying doesn't accomplish much, yet we worry. Now, this, this, this is not any different than the people who lived in the time of Jesus. They worried too. And I think we could sum that up by saying, it's kind of a human thing to do, is to, be, uh, to, is to worry at times. Yes, the life of the time of Jesus, the people who lived then, life was a little more simple. Things were on a smaller uh, scale. 
Um, they lived in smaller villages. They didn't have the internet or Instagram or Facebook to complicate life, you might say. People grew up in tribal groups in their villages, raised kind of by the village, and people knew their roles and responsibilities. The rituals and traditions uh, supported community life. But there were some tough things happening back then, too, such as the long shadow of the Roman Empire. Jesus was born while his country was occupied, was under Roman rule. And these people who conquered the land, we know that they were sometimes very ruthless with the people in the territories they occupied. If you look at the history of Pontius Pilate, you'll learn a little bit about that. And then there were the taxes that were quite high. And they were taxed on all sorts of things. And even if they went to worship, they got taxed if they went up to the temple. The people had to pay tribute to Rome and they had to pay tribute to their local leaders that had been appointed by Rome, like Herod. So that's why we know those tax collectors were despised. That's why they were despised. And then there was things like actual poverty, real poverty. There was violence. There was racial tension. You remember the story of the Samaritans, right? There's political positioning. There's oppression. There's hunger. Does any of that sound familiar to you all? Does that sound like our lives? There's always been anxious times for the people. Always been anxious times. In the section in the Bible, just before these verses that we read, Jesus tells his disciples, do not worry about your physical safety or your material needs, such as what to eat or what to wear. He tells them repeatedly that God loves them and he is aware of them and wants the best for them. And then at this particular moment, Jesus sums up all by saying, don't be afraid, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He sums that up by saying, don't be afraid, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, I don't know of any quick tips for an individual to cure worry or anxiety. And I know some professionals would advise us to avoid anyone who offers those quick fixes. But I want to go back to that initial scripture we read. Don't be afraid, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Because those verses always remind us that God wants the best for us. God cares for us, and that's the bottom line. There was a pastor named Sue, and she recounts a time in her life that she was helped, and it showed her that God wanted the best for her when she needed that reassurance the most. She starts her story about her struggle with depression by saying, in my case, the timeline is fuzzy, in part because I just didn't feel well. But I remember the culmination was a day when I was lying down on my closet floor and wishing I could feel better so my husband would have a nice wife and my kids could have a good mom. I don't want to overstate, the closet was carpeted and clean with a little window. And I also want to say my husband and my kids were doing great. This was my own private struggle. But it was so real for me. I remember crying and being unable to move. And I remember being so deeply frustrated about who I was and so very, very fearful. 
She goes on again, and the events are fuzzy. I know I finally called my mom and called a doctor, and the dark times began to end. But one event I remember clearly involves my neighbor, Gail. I didn't even know her that well. We had done some church work together, but she was 20 years older than I was. I remember a day when I was overwhelmed and unable to function, and so I called Gail. And the decision to do that was impulsive, but looking back, I think it might have been divinely inspired. I told her I was having a lot of trouble and asked if she could come over, and she did. She dropped her morning plans and she came and sat in my kitchen. And I poured out my troubles and cleaned my kitchen, which I was completely unable to do before she showed up. She listened to me and she stayed for a few hours and she didn't bring anything. She didn't do anything in particular. She just showed up. And she didn't turn away when I offered her up my heart full of pain. Perhaps you've had somebody like that. Well, Sue goes on to say, Gail taught me something about what we can do as the body of Christ to comfort those who suffer. We can show up. We can sit at the bar stool or maybe in each other's kitchen and listen to each other and maybe wipe off the counter. That is what it means to love your neighbor. Well, as I said, maybe you've had somebody like that in your life who just showed up when you needed it the most. Jesus showed up, and Jesus showed us what it meant to be compassionate, to make friends of strangers and foreigners, to eat with those around, uh, around us who others saw as unclean. Jesus practiced radical hospitality and in inviting all to his cause. He nourished others with kindness and by giving them a sense of how much God loved them. He gathered his followers around them and taught them to love each other and to believe and trust what God was saying to them. And then sometimes, as I already said, Jesus just showed up to those who needed him the most. Compassionate care shown to us by others may be one way that we receive the kingdom from our Heavenly Father throughout our lives. Because when people show up in this way, we are reminded that we are loved by something bigger than us, loved by a gracious God, loved by a God that is sometimes embodied in our fellow uh, and, and people that we know. In scarcity, Jesus offers abundance. In rejection, embrace. In sorrow, Jesus blesses. And when wrong, Jesus forgives. These are all the examples of God's extravagant love. And they show how doing those things can be balm, healing to those who worry, who live in anxious times. And what these stories tell us, what these examples show us, is that we're not alone. We're not alone. And what I'm saying is that as a community, we can love and support each other. And when we do that, we become more Christ-like as we do these very things. We just need to be ready to respond, ready to do when called upon to do that. I think most of us want to obey Jesus' command not to be fearful about life. We just can't always do it. As they say, life happens. Life happens.
In today's gospel, Jesus tells us, don't be afraid, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What Jesus, I think, is making clear is that we are worth more than anything else to God, and God wants the best for us. And know this, that God gives us the very best when he invites us into the kingdom. I'm thinking about the baptism we're going to do today for little Liam. So glad you all are here. But there Liam is. He can't do anything. He is just resting in his parents' arms. (laughs) He's just resting there. And before he can do anything, God says, come, be a part of my kingdom. Come, know that you are chosen and you are a part of my family. I think knowing that we have received the kingdom God seems like a a great place to start when we are fearful or anxious or worried. I gotta get myself together here. (laughs) Because, because it's a great place to start because it says we are ultimately safe in God's hand. And that doesn't mean we don't do other things we maybe need to do to deal with our anxiety and worry and all that. But starting knowing that we are safe in God's hands seems to be a pretty good place to start. Knowing that we have received the kingdom lets us keep our gifts, what we have, in proper perspective and then share generously when we're called to do so. Knowing that we have received the kingdom is a great place to start as we live our lives ready and willing to kind of jump in to serve God and our neighbor when we need to do that. So here is what I've been wondering this past week. What if we start each day of our lives knowing that we are, that we have the kingdom, that we're part of the kingdom? What if we start each day this week knowing that we're loved and chosen by God? knowing that God holds us in the palm of God's hands. Especially as we are a congregation in transition and calling a new senior pastor, what if we start by just knowing we are in God's hands? And especially as among us there are many who are preparing to go back to school or off to college, and knowing as many, especially as there are many who have health concerns, and especially as we struggle with the things that are happening in our community and in our world. What if we just begin each day knowing we are in God's hands, especially as we, well, you all can fill in the blank. What if today we just let ourselves marinate in this good news, in this promise, it is the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Amen.